Good morning, everyone. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you virtually uh, in this uh, very strange world we find ourselves living in at the present time. I wonder how many people have said that this past week, that we're living in a very strange time, a very strange world, and we're all trying to adapt and, and deal with it. Um, I read a post on Facebook from an old friend, uh, someone that I've not had any contact with for many, many, many years, and he friend requested me, and I accepted that, um, and I just was reading, and he talked about how he's going through uh, this emotional state when he wakes up in the morning, and as he's lying there in bed for a few moments, he forgets that the world is, like, very different, and then the wave comes over as he realizes that this is not like any day he's had uh, in previous months and years of his life, and this strange couldn't quite put a, a label to it until he actually read um, uh, a pastor talking about it, and, and he described it as like an anticipatory grief, a grief of things yet to be. And of course, I think I can identify with that. I think we can all find ourselves wondering in the moments of what tomorrow holds. Will it be better? Will it be worse? It certainly will be different. But then again, how different will it be? And these are the questions that kind of haunt us uh, as we go through these days. I was thinking um, it's been a strange kind of Pentecost uh, in the sense that uh, on uh, Friday, uh, May, March 13th, that was the first day that I began counting as part of the whole COVID crisis. And we hit the 50th day, at least I, from my counting, we hit the 50th day on Saturday, yesterday, and unless I screwed up the counting some way. Um, and it just struck me as a strange seven weeks that have passed in terms of all that we've seen and all the, the trauma and trial and tribulation that uh, has affected both our nation and many of us personally. Uh, and so uh, I have been in Philippians recently studying, meditating, thinking about uh, Philippians and sharing thoughts from Philippians. So I would ask you to turn to the book of Philippians chapter one. Uh, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter one and examining some thoughts here for a few moments from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. I'm going to be reading Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 26. I'll be reading from the New American Standard, which is uh, very similar to many of the other translations that are commonly used, the New King James, the ESV. Um, I have been using the NSAB because it has a large print edition that I find easy to use, and I haven't yet succumbed to reading glasses. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife but some also from goodwill. 
The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming again to you. Let's just take a moment and pray again together, please. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the good news that comes through Jesus. We thank you that he is the good news, that he is the author and finisher of our faith, and that he is the joy and the source of joy in our salvation. And I would just pray that you might use this time that we have together, these few moments, these few minutes, to reflect on your word, and that we might draw strength from your word, confidence from your word, hope from your word, joy from your word, and that as we are together, Lord, your spirit might speak to us. Father, we come with anxious hearts. We come with heavy hearts. We come with hearts that are are hopeful and yet also at times uh, full of dread. And we confess, Lord, that we have not often redeemed the time and we've often wasted the time. And we ask, Lord, that you might forgive us. We pray, God, that you might cleanse us and that you might strengthen us and that we might look at the circumstances we live and find them for an opportunity for both progress in the gospel, and progress in our faith. We pray this, Lord, for your namesake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Paul is writing to the Philippian church in about the year 62 AD, and it's been a number of years since he has seen him. The context of the letter is that he has received a gift via Epaphroditus, which has allowed him to continue Uh, to maintain a a lifestyle of support while in house arrest. Paul's imprisonment was not in a jail like we would think of or a prison like we would think of, but rather he was confined to a residence. You might say he was under quarantine, if you will. The Romans were trying to keep him from sharing the gospel. However, that didn't stop the Apostle Paul in his social isolation. First, he was not completely isolated in that he was allowed to receive visitors, even though he himself could not leave his residence. And he had a companion. No, it was not a dog, it was not a cat, 
It was not a gerbil. It was a Roman soldier. He was chained to one every day, 24-7, linked literally to a Roman of the Praetorian Guard. Now, that was a unique experience, I'm sure, because originally the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans back about five or six years earlier, had said to the church at Rome, I desire to see you that I might have fruit among you. His intention was to go to Rome. But when he wrote that, I'm sure that he intended to go as a preacher. God had other plans. He didn't go as a preacher. He went as a prisoner. And where he might have been able to preach had he gone on his own volition, here his audience was very restricted indeed. And yet what do we see here in verse 12? What do we find in this verse? He says here, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Another translation says, the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, I want you to think for a moment with me. When Paul says these words, when he writes these words to the church at Philippi, Talk about understatement. Talk about understatement. That my circumstances. Okay, what are his circumstances? Well, he's chained to a Roman soldier under house arrest, not having any freedom. But let's back it up. Let's hit the rewind button. Let's talk about how he got there. Well, let's see. It started with a riot in Jerusalem. It started in a riot in Jerusalem. And guess what? He wasn't just there at the riot. He was the source of the riot. He wasn't just like standing on the sidelines watching people lose their minds. He was the cause of people losing their minds. And in the midst of that, they tried to kill him. He was, there was an attempted murder, an attempt on his life. Then he's falsely accused. They, the Roman thinks, aren't you that Egyptian who causes trouble and is like, a, you know, one, on the most wanted poster of Rome? He's falsely accused. And then he's wrongly imprisoned. And then he's the subject of a murder conspiracy. There's a whole group of men who swear that they're not going to eat until they kill Paul. Then he's whisked away under the cover of darkness with an armed escort of over 400 Roman soldiers traveling north to Caesarea, where he's wrongfully imprisoned a second time. Then, there are not, there's not one but two trials where no justice is found. He's not acquitted of any wrongdoing. He's just left there to rot for two years in prison in Caesarea. Then, finally, he appeals to Caesar as a last resort, as a Roman citizen. And so, he's on a Maritime voyage across the Mediterranean, which ends in a shipwreck where he's bitten by a poisonous snake, taken under captivity again, finally delivered to Rome, where he's placed under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. And what does he say in Philippians chapter 1? The things which have happened to me. Now, 
there are different ways that we could talk about circumstances. Kenneth Weist observes that the word circumstances there could be translated as those things which hold me down. Those things which hold me down. And of course, as we consider our lives in the current situation, there are a lot of us who are being held down. Some of us are being held down financially. We are forced to wait on long hours of waiting on the call waiting service for the unemployment. We're waiting and held down by the social distancing requirements imposed by the governor. We're held down by our fears of contact with others. Never in our lives have we thought that going to the supermarket might cost us our lives. And yet in the back of our minds, people wonder, is it worth the risk to go to the supermarket or to go to the pharmacy? These things are holding us down. And I confess, my attitude hasn't been that one of the Apostle Paul, where the Apostle Paul looks at the circumstances he's in, and he says, these have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, we can look at the rest of the passage here in terms of verses 13 through 18, and we could see that Paul lays out how this has happened. First, it's become known throughout the entire Praetorian Guard of why I'm here. Can you imagine the conversations? Hey, Titus, can't wait to get chained to this guy. What a story does he have to tell? Or Felix, you're not, listen, don't listen to this guy. He's trying to convert you. Or Atticus, I'm telling you, you need to listen. This guy has got something really important to say. Now, Paul was a prisoner, but for six hours, so were the Roman soldiers who watched him. They were truly a captive audience. And the Apostle Paul did not waste that time. So every day, he would cycle through four Roman soldiers who would hear his story, who would listen to him talk, hear him pray, watch him write his letters, watch him receive visitors, listen to what they talked about. The greater progress of the gospel. But not only that, there were people who were taking Paul's example and running with it. They were saying, okay, look, Paul's in prison for the cause of Christ, and it was emboldening them. They were <clears throat> putting their confidence in the Lord and saying, look, if Paul can do this, we can do this. He's suffering for the cause of Christ. We can go forward in this. Others were thinking, hey, this is my chance to improve my reputation, my rival, my competitor, the guy who's gaining all this attention. You know what? He's locked up. He doesn't have the opportunities I have. Now I can move in on his sheep. I can move in on his market. I can get a corner of his ministry. And I can try to get some fame and fortune for myself out of this. Paul says, you know what? I don't care. Whether they preach Christ out of noble ambition or selfish ambition, the fact is I'm going to rejoice because Christ is being preached. The further progress of the gospel. Now, Paul goes on to say that 
he's sort of struggling about this whole thing because he understands that there's a risk to his life. He's not confident how all this is going to shake out. He's not really sure how this is all going to turn out. And so there is this, as he says later on in the passage, that I am hard-pressed. I am hard-pressed from both directions. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better, yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Now, when we look at that, we look at that expression, I have to ask myself, honestly, do I have a strong desire to depart and be with Christ? When we think about this, Paul is, 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 is talking about dying. He's talking about death. When he's talking about striking his tent, which is what the word depart is in, in the Greek, it's the idea that you pack up your tent and you move on. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to move out. I'm ready to die. Not, not many people are like that today. In fact, the reality is, is that the vast majority of the United States and the world is terrified of death. Well, that's why we've shut down everything. That's why we've, we've embraced fiscal ruin and embraced financial disaster and why we've embraced the Great Depression Part Two and why we've embraced all of these social issues. Because on, on some deep level, humanity is terrified of dying. And the reality is, is that we're, just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we are is exempt from those basic human fears about dying. But Paul, he says, I got this struggle. I, I want to leave. I want to go. I want to get out of here. I want to be with Christ, which is far better. But on the other hand, I need to stay. I want to stay because that's much better for you. You know, it takes a certain mindset to be able to look at death and say, it's far better. It takes a certain point of view to look at the end of life and not see it as an end to be dreaded, but a beginning to be anticipated. And the problem is that what the world lacks is the hope that comes with the good news. The very thing that the Apostle Paul was rejoicing in, the further progress, the greater progress of the gospel, is the reason why he could look at departing, striking his tent, packing up and leaving the scene as something far better. Look, it's, it, you can only look at death that way if you're confident that what's on the other side is far better. But for most people, death is the end with a giant question mark because they don't know what is beyond that. And you see, that's really where the gospel is truly good news. The gospel is truly good news because it tells us of a Savior who came so that death could be vanquished. And why? Because death's sting gets itself from sin. The Bible says that sin separates us from God, that the soul that sins shall surely die, 
that the consequence, the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I have some bad news for everybody. We're all going to die. I mean, I know about the rapture, but bear with me for a moment. Assuming the rapture doesn't come anytime soon, and just bear with me on that. I know it could, but assume with me for a moment that it doesn't. There's not one of us who's going to be here 50 years from now. In fact, most of us will not be here 40 years from now. There's a good percentage of us that will not be here 30 years from now. There are some of us that will not be here 20 years from now. There are a few who won't be here 10 years from now, five years from now. And there'll be some of us who won't even be here next year. That's depressing, but it's the truth. You see, one of the things that this whole crisis has brought home to humanity is our mortality. Especially in the West especially in Europe and in the United States, where we've been able to, through our technology and through our medical uh, uh, expertise, have created the illusion that we could push death off to some distant future. But the problem with the crisis that we're living in now is that, yes, most of the time the people who suffer and die from COVID-19 are the elderly with pre-existing conditions. But we all know of people who that does not apply to. We've all heard of, for example, the 58-year-old man who had no pre-existing condition, or the 44-year-old man, or the 30-year-old woman, who everybody looked at and said they were relatively very healthy, and suddenly they were struck down. And it brings our mortality front and center. And it forces us to ask ourselves, can I say confidently that to die is gain. Now, I was looking at Worldometer. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. It's one of the uh, metrics or websites that the governments use actually to monitor the COVID. It's keeping day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute assessments of numbers, but it's not just that. And what's interesting is that right now, globally, the death toll from COVID is around 250,000 people from, from when it started to now. But do you know that when it comes to, to deaths, more people have died of malaria this year than from COVID? There have been om- over 330,000 malarial deaths. Do you know that worldwide there have been over 360,000 suicides? Do you know that more than half a million have died of AIDS this year. That those who have died from alcohol-related deaths has been more than 840,000 people globally. Do you know that more than 1.6 million people have died from smoking-related illnesses this year? That the number of people who have died from cancer this year, from January till now, have been two point, almost 2.8 million people. That almost a half a million have died in traffic accidents. 
What's my point? If it's not the COVID, it's going to be something else. And so the question to ask yourself is, can I really say, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain? You see, you can only say that if you know who Christ is. You can only say that if you know why Christ came. You can only embrace that truth if you understand the good news. You see, the Apostle Paul wanted to live for Christ. And he knew that while he was here on earth, he had a mission to fulfill. You know, some of us, most of us, we're not anxious to pack up our tents, so to speak, and leave planet earth. Most of us are very much grounded here. And we struggle with our earthly, worldly, biological, physical fears of dying. And I'm honest, death doesn't scare me so much. It's the dying part that gets to me. It, that's really the issue. It's like if I fell asleep and died, I know I'd go to heaven. But it's the process of going from here to there that kind of terrifies most of us. But there's also the point that some of us are tired of life. We get, we get exhausted of life. We, to be with Christ is far better. And that's where all we think about. But notice the apostle Paul said he was torn between the two. It wasn't that he was just, I'm out of here. See ya. Don't want to be ya. I'm going to heaven. That's it. No, the apostle Paul understood that his life was a stewardship. His life had a purpose. And as long as he was in the body, he wanted to live for Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. And you know, as we age, there's a kind of diminishing that takes place. That's just natural. Our energy levels drop. Our ability to focus drops. Sometimes we're, we're physically not even able to leave our homes, even under normal circumstances. And the desire to depart and be with Christ can become very overwhelming then. Some of us might actually be in despair. Our circumstances have gotten so hard that we just long for death. We think death would be a great release. We hope that we might someday just stop this struggle. We don't desire to stay at all. Maybe it's because all our friends are, have gone to heaven already. Maybe our family has gone to heaven already. The Apostle Paul understood that Christianity wasn't just a great escape. But rather, he wanted to be here. And why? In verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Now, how is Paul going to help them in their progress and joy in the faith? Well, if you go back earlier in chapter 1, you see in verses 9 through 11 that the Apostle Paul prays for them. And he prays diligently for them. And he prays intelligently for them. He prays spiritually for them. 
and he prays often for them. Many years ago, there was a dear woman at Tenafly named Mrs. Kewling. And she would often take my wife's hand and say, I want you to know that I pray for you. I pray for you every day. And I'll never forget when she passed away. My wife looked at me and said, now who will pray for me? You see, you think, oh, all I can do is pray. I can't get out of my house. I can't do missions. I can't preach. I can't do any of these things. Could the Apostle Paul chain to a Roman under house arrest? Not an old man in the prime of his life, full of energy, enthusiasm, and vigor. How frustrating it could have been for him to think. I had all these ideas about going to Rome and preaching before the Colosseum or at the forum and declaring the good news. And now I'm under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. But no. For to me, to live is Christ. And my circumstances, which I find myself in, are turning out to be for the furtherance of the gospel. What is the good news? Christ died for our sins. The very thing that separates us from God, the very thing that makes death so terrifying, the very thing that unaddressed, unresolved, unforgiven leads to a lost eternity. Where to quote Dante, as you enter the gates of hell, positioned above, it says, abandon all hope, you who enter here. The very source of that despair Christ died for, taking our place becoming the substitute, the only substitute, the only Savior. For as the Apostle Peter would say, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins. The gospel is that Christ was buried. What does that mean? Why is that important? Why even include that in the gospel that Paul records in 1 Corinthians 15? For I received unto you that which I also received. I delivered unto you that which I also received, the gospel, the good news, that Christ died for our sins and was buried. Why? Because Jesus identifies with us at our worst. Listen, you can't get any worse than being dead. And he went into the tomb because he was really dead. Not sort of dead. Really dead but that he rose from the grave. And Paul would tell us in the letter to the Romans, he did that for our justification. Risen from the dead, the resurrection and the life. And what does he say? He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. How is that possible? Because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not the result of our works, not the result of our efforts, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, not because we could merit it, but simply because we know we don't have it and we ask the one who has it to give it. As Jesus told the Samaritan woman, 
if you knew the person who was talking to you, you would ask and he would give. And so as we bring this time together to a close, the Apostle Paul knew that his life had purpose. What was that purpose? For me to live is Christ. What did that mean? The greater progress of the gospel and the greater progress of the faith and joy of those he loved and served. That was his purpose. And because of that gospel, because of that good news, he could say, to die is gain. Vincent, the great commentator, writes, For Paul, life is summed up in Christ. Christ is its inspiration, its aim, its end. To trust, love, obey, preach, follow, suffer. All things are with and in Christ. Let's just take a moment and pray together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to meditate in your word and to consider this perspective of living, this perspective of life. And I would just pray now for anyone who's listening, Father, whether it's now in the moment or whether they access this through the website or they hear it later on in some uh, format, that if there's anyone who has yet to trust Christ as their Savior, that they would right now, in this moment, turn to him, declaring their need for a Savior, abandoning all hope in themselves, in their religion, in their own righteousness, and ask for the forgiveness of sins which comes through Jesus. That they would put their confidence and trust in him as their only Savior. For as you have said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that even now they might call on him, confessing their need, asking for forgiveness, believing the gift, trusting you for salvation. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to develop that perspective that sees life as a tug of war between being with you and departing this life, which is far better, and then being here and fulfilling our purpose, our mission to advance the gospel and to bring joy and encourage progress in the faith for those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.